0: Out front next, Israel says Hamas is no longer in control of northern Gaza, as the Biden administration says it has new proof that Hamas is using Gaza's largest hospital as a command center. Plus, Congress gone wild. A fistfight nearly breaking out in the United States Senate. And a congressman accuses Kevin McCarthy of elbowing him in the kidneys. What is going on? It's embarrassing. Plus, our new series, Voters Out Front. Tonight, why young voters are increasingly fed up with Biden. Let's go out front. And good evening, I'm Erin Burnett. Out front tonight, Israel flags, Israeli flags in Gaza's parliament. Israel's defense minister pointing to a photo today at a press conference that shows Israeli forces posing for a picture inside Gaza's parliament and they're waving Israeli flags. The defense minister says that this means, and it shows, he says, that Israel is now in control.
1: You've seen Golani troops sitting in Gaza's parliament. This is significant. I can tell you that in the northern Gaza Strip, Hamas has lost its control. Actually, we're controlling all of the area that's above and underground of the northern Gaza Strip, and especially in Gaza City.
0: Of course, it's obviously very charged that they would put Israeli flags in that parliament, but Israel also says its punishing ground operations will continue, and those include surrounding the al-Shifa hospital. Tonight, the White House says it has its own intelligence, indicating that Hamas is using al-Shifa to run its military operations.
2: We have information that confirms that Ham- Hamas is using that particular hospital for a command and control node. That is a war crime. Al
0: Shifa, as we've been telling you, is the largest hospital in Gaza. It's many blocks. It's about a dozen acres, ER, surgery, maternity wards. And it is where thousands of innocent Palestinians are sheltering in parking lots and courtyards, as well as whatever is underneath it. That is why Kirby went on to say that the United States does not supporting support striking Al Shifa from the air. CNN obtained an audio message from the head of Al-Shifa's neonatal unit. He made it clear in this message that we've obtained that the situation inside the hospital that he is seeing seeing is dire.
2: The babies were evacuated to the surgical department, the adult department, uh, and uh, all of them are wrapped in towels. Okay, not in incubators, each eight in one adult uh, bed. And uh, we expect all to die uh, because they don't have water to prepare milk for them. They don't have electricity to provide them with warmth. They don't have staff to care with them. Even the staff is scared. We expect all
0: to die. No human heart can be untouched by that. According to the US administration, Al Shifa has also been used to house some of the hostages taken by Hamas. 239, as we understand that at this time, those numbers have shifted over time, but 239 is the latest that we have. Tonight, a senior US official telling CNN that Israel and Hamas have been inching closer to a deal to release some of them. According to a Hamas spokesman and a source familiar with the negotiations, Israel asked for 100 to be released. Hamas's military wing claims negotiations are focused on the possible release of 70 women and children, uh, and they want to pause in fighting for five days for that. But the point is, is both sides agree that there is a discussion about a substantial number of hostages, and both saying that now uh, to the press is a significant step. It is unclear if any deal would include freeing the 10 Americans being held. Today, though, President Biden was asked and said this.
3: What's your message for the families.
4: Hang in there.
0: We're coming. Jeremy Diamond is out front live along the Israel-Gaza border to begin our coverage tonight. And Jeremy, the Israeli Defense Minister, Yoav Gallant, claiming full control of northern Gaza and Gaza City, uh, showing that picture of Israeli troops waving Israeli flags in the Gaza parliament. The IDF does say fighting continues in the heart of Gaza. So what more are you learning about how things really stand at this hour?
4: Well, Aaron, over the last couple of weeks, we have watched as Israeli forces have been closing in on Gaza City from the north and from the south. And tonight, Israel's defense minister now saying that Hamas has lost control of northern Gaza, including, he says, Gaza City. This, as we are hearing tonight, ongoing bombardments and outgoing artillery in the direction of the Gaza Strip. And as we are watching, Israeli forces taking control of key positions, all appearing to head towards one key target, and that is al-Shifa Hospital.
5: Tonight, Israeli forces say they have seized key areas in northern Gaza. After block-by-block battles, the Israeli military claiming operational control of the congested Shati refugee camp and key Hamas government buildings in Gaza City, including Hamas's parliament, where troops posed with Israeli flags. The advances show Israeli troops driving toward al-Shifa Hospital, where Israel claims Hamas operates a major underground command center. CNN cannot independently confirm those allegations, which both Hamas and hospital officials deny. The UN says all but one of northern Gaza's hospitals have now effectively shut down due to a lack of power, water and medical supplies.
3: Nowadays, every minute, every hour, we are hearing that either full hospital Or departments in a hospital is closing its
5: services. At Al Shifa Hospital, doctors desperately trying to save premature babies after a strike knocked out power to the hospital's neonatal unit. The Israeli military now says it is preparing to send these mobile incubators to the hospital, releasing audio of an alleged conversation with a hospital manager. Meanwhile, new confidence from President Biden in a potential deal to free some of the estimated 239 hostages held in Gaza.
6: I've been talking with people involved every single day. I believe it's going to happen, but I don't want to get into detail.
5: As hostage families begin a five-day march from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, a senior U.S. official telling CNN Israel and Hamas are inching closer to a deal. The broad strokes, Hamas frees dozens of women and children in exchange for as long as a five day ceasefire and the release of some Palestinian prisoners. As families continue to plead for the release of their loved ones, the official cautioning a deal is closer, but it's not done. And
4: uh, tonight, uh, Aaron, we have heard for weeks now, as Israeli officials have made clear that they believe that Hamas is operating below al-Shifa hospital. Yesterday, Israeli officials saying that they believe Hamas is holding hostages there. And today we are hearing from the White House directly, the National Security Council spokesman, John Kirby, saying that not only does Hamas operate a command and control center under Shifa, but also that it may be holding hostages there and under other hospitals, Aaron.
0: All right, Jeremy, thank you very much and out front now retired army lieutenant general mark schwartz the former security coordinator for israel and the palestinian authority and Dr. Barbara Zinn, the American pediatrician who arrived in Gaza, as you know, the day before the October 7th Hamas terrorist strike in Israel. She remained stuck in Gaza for 26 days. We followed her story, of course, for weeks here and out front, and she has spent a lot of time in Gaza over the years. Thanks very much to both of you. And General Schwartz, I want to start by asking you a couple of key questions here about uh, the situation on the ground. Uh, first, the Israeli defense minister we heard says Hamas is no longer in control of, of Gaza City or northern Gaza above and below ground. So if that's true, what's actually left, General?
7: Well, I think that statement by the Minister of Defense uh, really, you know, emphasizes the fact that the Israeli Defense Forces have control of what comes into northern Gaza and Gaza City and what goes out. They've also had the opportunity over the past two and a half weeks to assess you know, the thousands of airstrikes that occurred in northern Gaza and Gaza City. So the assessment of the underground, I think, is what characterizes, you know, that part of the statement. Because um, just yesterday when Nick was in uh, Gaza and, you know, uh, investigating some of the uh, damage from, uh, you know, the the strikes as well as some of the the ground combat, the IDF spokesman, as I remember, made, made the comment that they had not, you know, physically cleared all the, all the tunnels, but I think they've assessed what the damage has done. So there's still, uh, you know, fighting going on, uh, as as we've seen or reported, but uh, yeah. I think the idea feels assured that they have control.
0: All right. Um, I'm just going to interrupt this conversation for one moment to go to the ground to our Oren Lieberman in Tel Aviv with some breaking developments. Oren?
8: Aaron, the IDF has just confirmed they're moving on Al-Shifa Hospital. This is a development we've come to expect. Over the last days and even weeks, as Israel has pointed to Shifa Hospital, the largest in Gaza, as one of the focal points of Hamas and its infrastructure, they have accused, and the U.S. has backed them up, uh, Hamas of using uh, Shifa Hospital as a base, essentially building some of their facilities, some of their headquarters, their command and control below it. This statement just coming out a few moments ago, I'll read you a part of this. It says, based on intelligence, information, and an operational necessity, IDF forces are carrying out a precise and targeted operation against Hamas in a specified area in the Shifa hospital. They then go on to say the IDF forces include medical teams and Arabic speakers who have undergone specified training to prepare for this complex and sensitive environment with the intent that no harm is caused to the civilians being used by Hamas as human shields. In recent weeks, they say they have repeatedly warned Hamas uh, to leave the hospital and leave the area as gunfights have raged in that area. They also Mm -hmm. say they've given opportunities for patients and others to evacuate Shifa Hospital. And in the last line of their statement, I'll read this quickly as well, we call upon all Hamas terrorists present in the hospital to surrender. Again, Aaron, this is a development we have expected as they've moved closer to the hospital. And given the amount of focus they have, or rather attention they have paid to it, It Mm -hmm. was assumed at some point they would have to move on the hospital in many ways, perhaps, uh, if if it can be proven that they are correct, that Hamas has used it as a base, a way of vindicating much of what we've seen, much of what they have said over the course of the past several weeks.
0: So, Oren, um, a couple of things that you said there, they're they're saying all Hamas terrorists, uh, they're asking them to surrender. I mean, obviously, the, the clear... implicit uh implication there is that they believe that there are hamas terrorists inside that they're moving on that that's a specific military operation is there anything in this that makes you believe that there is more to it in terms of a hostage rescue situation or what do you read between the lines here of the information they're sharing
8: let me take a quick look at the statement again there's just a little bit of it i didn't read there isn't any statement up here about hostages. There's no indication whether they believe hostages are inside the hospital. They did put out video of Rantisi Hospital, one of the other hospitals in northern Gaza, and suggested hospital, uh, hostages may have been held in that hospital. At least as of this point, it doesn't look like the IDF has, has made an accusation or a statement such that they believe hostages were held at any point at Shifa Hospital. But you're right, Aaron, that's certainly something we'll keep an eye on.
0: And in and, another thing you were talking about, they're talking about a targeted operation. They're bringing in medical teams. I, I guess I would presume to be somewhat in support of the, the civilian, the div- dire civilian situation above ground in, in Shifa Hospital, regardless of what Hamas is present there. Uh, Arabic speakers as well. Do you have any, any sense from your sources of, while you say this is what has been expected, obviously it's happening uh, around, right, 2.12 in the morning where you are, Any sense of the size or scope of what this operation may be?
8: That's difficult to gauge from here, from we're only 40, 50 miles or so away, but it's difficult to know what's happening on the ground, how many forces are moving in, what kinds of forces. This would only almost certainly be uh, a special operations raid. They have units that are, are focused on tunnel warfare and specialize in that. Perhaps they are involved uh, because the accusation has always been that Hamas is under the hospital and uses the hospital as protection above it. So you'd have to believe that there is uh, units that focus on special operations and operating underground. Uh, And they also say, and it's interesting, I'll point this out again, they say they're in a uh, specified area in Mm -hmm. Shifa Hospital, so it implies that they at least have some indication, or believe they do at least, where that connects, where above ground connects with below ground, where Hamas is using the hospital. It is a large complex. There's a main area, there are outer buildings as well from what we have seen. So one of the things we'll learn as, as we see more how this played out, both from the Israelis and of course from the Palestinians in Shifa hospital, where they focused what they did, what kind of forces they used, and how many forces uh, took part in this.
0: All right, Oren, obviously, uh, stand by. And as you get more information, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll come back with us as soon as you do learn more. General Schwartz, when you hear about this operation that the IDF now says, as we are all speaking, is going on, the largest hospital in Gaza, specified area targeted by IDF forces asking for Hamas terrorists present to surrender as they are going in, what do you hear is happening?
7: So I think Oren characterized it very well. I, I would expect there'd be Israeli special operations forces that have very good understanding and intelligence on, you know, the makeup of the overall Al Shifa hospital compound. It sounds like they have some pretty unique intelligence that suggests they know uh, the area where maybe uh, Hamas is, is currently present or have been in the most recent past. So I, I think also a key point of that statement was a precise operation, which you know lends us to believe that they're going to use primarily, um, you know, ground forces and the use of uh, direct fire weapons in order to to clear uh, the hospital and per, and mitigate the likelihood of of civilian casualties.
0: Doctor Zinn, on, on this, I mean, I, I can only imagine what you're thinking as you hear this. You've been inside that hospital. Uh, you know people there, you know, been talking to the head of the neonatal unit who ultimately had to leave. Uh, she thinks more than 50 premature babies will die. Uh, you know, we heard her speaking there and her voice breaking. When you hear uh, this news and you know the complex, what what do you think? I mean, it is obviously a very large, I know it's about a dozen acres all in. I mean, it's a very large space and they're talking about something very specific. Uh, can you even comprehend what such a thing might mean?
9: Right, I'm concerned, of course, about those premature infants. Um, The maternal fetal or newborn area is a distance from the surgical hospital. And in general, what they do is they they have to do surgery in a newborn, they take an ambulance to get from one to the other. They didn't in this case and and the babies are right there within the surgical part of the department because they can get some warmth. But I I just think of those newborns Mm -hmm. every day that they have low oxygen, that they're not fed adequately, is really permanent damage to those babies and if they survive even. And so I just feel like this is, this is sti- you know, this isn't going to help those babies at all. And still you have to weigh the weigh the benefit and risk and the risk is for those 46 babies.
0: And, and, and Dr. Zinn on that front, um, <clears throat> As we understand, this is happening right now. Uh, you heard the IDF release audio of what they say was a phone call between uh, an Arabic-speaking member of the IDF and, and a hospital employee saying, we're going to provide um, incubators. Will that be helpful? And the and the employee responds, yes. Um, the IDF provided this video, so I can't tell you uh, this audio. So obviously, can't tell you ourselves if that's exactly where it came from. But what the description is, if such a thing were, were to happen and those incubators were to get there, especially now, when you're now seeing military operation in a specific part of this hospital, Would that make a difference at this point if those incubators were now just suddenly delivered?
9: Well, if those incubators were self, had their own power or battery power, they had (coughs) oxygen tanks on them that would last for a while. And there was some, they also need clean water and they need one for every baby. So that's a lot if they are carrying all of those incubators and they are all self-contained Uh, Most of them aren't going to have enough power for a long period of time. They would be more transport incubators, but um, it depends on that. If they're bringing a regular incubator in with no oxygen, no self-contained power, then it's Mm -hmm. not going to be very helpful.
0: Uh, General, a quick final word to you from everything you've heard. How big do you think this operation is in terms of the time it will take? Obviously, it's happening here now at uh, 2.20 in the morning. Um, The time it will take, the number of forces involved by the IDF.
7: Now, well, the IDF is clearly using the advantage of, of darkness and, you know, some of the unique capabilities they have to do the operation. I, I, I would suggest that it would, it's going to take multiple hours and it's going to involve probably a couple thousand forces because the, the outer cordon to, to support the main assault force that's going go to go into the clearing of the, uh, of the hospital where they assess the, uh, the Hamas operatives are, are located. All right.
0: Thank you both very much. I appreciate it. And as I said, our Oren Lieberman is standing by. As we get more information on this, we are going to bring it to you. But we do understand and the IDF has confirmed that this operation in Al-Shifa Hospital uh, with Israeli forces going in is happening as we speak right now. Out front next, a sitting senator challenging the Teamsters president to a fist fight during a committee hearing today.
6: Well, stand your butt up then. You stand your butt up. Oh, hold on. Oh,
0: stop it. What happened? Plus the Georgia DA revealing tonight that Trump's trial is gonna be going on during the height of the presidential election. I don't expect that we will conclude until the winter or the very early part of 2025. And the former Trump White House attorney, Ty Cobb, will be out front. Plus Chinese President Xi Jinping leaving nothing to chance tonight as he lands in California for his meeting with President Biden. Pro-China crowds arriving just in time to welcome Xi.
5: There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff, and some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Breaking news, the House just passing a bill to avoid a government shutdown. All but two Democrats joining a majority of Republicans to extend funding until January 19th. It's a major step. It comes as the Capitol saw a pretty embarrassing day and other Fronts. Senator Mark Wayne Mullen challenging a witness at a hearing to a fist fight. At that fight, it, or the fight almost broke out, no, and it wouldn't would no, have no, if it weren't down. for Senator Bernie, Bernie Sanders. No, no, Sunlan Safadi is out front. No,
6: no, sit down. Sorry,
10: sit down.
0: Okay.
6: Okay. No, no, you're okay, a United States Senator. Actively. Oh, okay. Okay. Sit down, please.
0: A breakdown
11: in cars? decorum oh, yeah. today on okay. Capitol Hill.
6: I want to expose this thug to who he is. You're not pointing at me. That's disrespectful. I don't care about respecting you at all. I I don't respect you at all.
11: Senator Mark Wayne Mullen bringing a congressional hearing to a halt, standing up and challenging the witness to a fistfight in the middle of the hearing.
6: Sir, this is a time, this is a place. If you want to run your mouth, we can be two consenting adults. We can finish it here. Okay, that's fine. Perfect. You want to do it now? I'd love to do it right now. Well, stand your butt up then. You stand your butt up.
8: Oh,
11: hold on. Oh, hold, stop it. The tense moment escalating quickly after the senator read tweets that Teamsters General President Sean O'Brien wrote in the past being critical of the senator. What a clown. Fraud.
6: Always has been, always will be. Quick, the tough guy act in these Senate hearings. You know where to find me. Any place, any time, cowboy.
11: Leading to numerous attempts by the chairman of the committee to break up the altercation that ensued.
6: Hold it. No, excuse me. I, have I the mic. will say, I will
12: say, exactly Senator Mullen, I have the mic. You have questions on any economic issues, anything that said,
6: go for it. We're not here to talk about physical abuse.
11: Afterwards, Mullen said he didn't regret it.
6: I didn't start it. I didn't tweet at him. I didn't go after him. I have no beef with a guy. I mean, I don't even know the last time I've gotten a street fight.
11: Meantime, over in the House today, Republican Congressman Tim Burchett says former Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy elbowed him in the back.
6: It was a clean shot to the kidneys, and I turned back, and there was there was Kevin
11: McCarthy denying it, saying they were in a narrow hallway, intimating he only brushed past him. If I
1: kidney punched him, he'd be on the ground.
11: Birchett maintaining it was intentional.
6: There's 435 congressmen. I was one of eight that voted against him. That hallway was uh, there's plenty of room. You can walk four four side by side. He chose to do what he did.
11: Elsewhere on Capitol Hill, that is bullshit. Tensions also boiling over at an oversight hearing.
1: You're doing stuff with your
10: brother. The American
11: people have the same questions. Why should they believe you? Why should they believe you? You're to Why should they believe you? you there's there's a, a different... Devolving into a name-calling between Chairman Comer and freshman Congressman Jared Moskowitz. You look like a smurf here, just
7: going around and all this stuff.
11: And this string of personal incidents up here on Capitol Hill certainly underscores just how high tensions are running. Members have been scrambling uh, to get the government funded before the end of the week's deadline. They're also certainly on the House side. They have been working for 10 weeks straight. That is very atypical for them. And the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, he chimed in on all of this today. He said that maybe a Thanksgiving break would allow at least his members a chance to get home
0: and cool off a bit. Aaron. Nothing like work in 10 weeks, huh? All right. Thank you, uh, Sunlin. And let's go now to former Congressman Rodney Davis. So, Congressman, let me ask you, you know all the players involved in the chaos today. So let me just start um, with the Senator Mullen uh, a fiasco that happened there uh, in, in that committee meeting. Were you shocked to see a sitting senator challenge a witness to a fight in the middle of a committee hearing?
2: Well, I, I'm shocked that the whole incident happened. Mark Wayne and I got elected together to the house in 2012. He's a very good friend of mine. But let's also take a step back and, and ask, is there any culpability for Bernie Sanders and more in particular his staff on the help committee putting Sean O'Brien back on the witness stand knowing that there was bad blood? Did they know something like this would happen? And it's frustrating, but I will tell you, there is one person I've met in my life that I would never want to get in a fight with and that's Senator Mullen. He's one tough dude.
0: All right, so I understand all that, but again, we are talking about the U.S. Senate. And and just whether there's bad blood or not, the president of the Teamsters Union is who we're talking about. And whatever the personal invectives that have been uh, you know, lodged between the two, right? Uh, that is, the largest union in the United States, they've got 1.3 million people as their members. There's no situation, it would seem, in which it is unfair or inappropriate for him to be sitting in a committee hearing as a witness. Um, it would seem a sitting senator should just control himself and act with decorum.
2: Well, I've, I've led committee witnesses on my side of the aisle as a ranking member of a committee in the House. And you get to choose the witnesses. And if you know there's been bad blood on social media, you kind of know that there might be an outcome. Now, there would never have been a fight in the Senate hearing room. That was a lot of talking and no action. Now, I grew up watching professional wrestling. This seemed like it'd be a great, it'd be a great, uh, a, a great uh, prelog of what could happen for charity. If Sean O'Brien and Mark Wayne Mullen want to fight for charity, help people, help veterans' organizations, help the Capitol Police Memorial Fund. Let's do that because they're getting the national attention right now. I bet they'd raise a lot of money.
0: Yeah, getting getting it in a way that you know is. quite embarrassing. I think something that people would like to think happens in other uh, floors of elected representatives in other countries. And now we see happening here. And on that, I want to ask you about other when you know all these individuals. So let me ask you about what happened uh, on on the Capitol side today, on the the House side. Former Speaker McCarthy accused of elbowing Congressman Burchett in the kidneys. Now McCarthy is denying it, but um, the NPR reporter who was there said she saw it happen. Uh, So she saw the whole thing. and She's saying it happened. Why is McCarthy denying it, do you think?
2: I I can't answer that. I wasn't there. But this is 100 percent personal between Tim and Kevin right now. And if I was still in Congress, I would try to sit both of them down to try and work it out. It's disappointing that issues like this and incidents like this are getting this much attention nationwide, especially when we see what's happening in the world. And and thankfully, Speaker Johnson and Leader Jeffries were able to come up with an agreement to keep government funding uh, going forward after this week so these members of Congress can get home, be with their families, and calm down a little bit.
0: And we can do it all again in early January. Um, but, you know, I guess they got it funded till January 19th. That's the way we go. I, I hear you. At this point, sadly, it's something to celebrate uh, in this country when it's put off another few weeks. All right, thank you very much, Congressman. I appreciate your time. Thank you. All right, and next, the DA in the Georgia case against Trump filing an emergency motion to seal evidence after recorded interviews were made public. So who leaked those tapes? Plus the breaking news, Israel saying its troops are right now as I speak, carrying out a precise and targeted operation at the Shifa Hospital in Gaza. The Israeli troops are actually going in right now, and we're gonna go back to the ground for the latest after this. We are continuing to follow the breaking news right now. The Israeli Defense Forces at this time, so it's about 2.30 in the morning in Gaza, say they are currently conducting an operation against Hamas at the largest hospital in Gaza City. They say it's a targeted operation inside that hospital that IDF forces are moving in. Uh, It is uh, according to the U.S. and the IDF. That hospital is also a command center for Hamas and a place where they have held hostages. Oren Lieberman is out front live in Tel Aviv following this closely and, Oren, you were able to confirm this and get this update from the IDF. What more can you tell us?
8: At this point, the IDF hasn't made any additional statements or put out any video, but we do expect they'll have to do that at some point, partially because of the focus on the hospital itself from the IDF, from the Israeli government and at this point from the U.S., saying it is being used as a base by Hamas. They have to essentially prove that uh, to the outside world and show the outside world that what they have set up to this point is true. Another reason that they'll have to put out additional information and video is because of the criticism they have faced for operating around the hospital, strikes that have affected the hospital and the deaths inside the hospital. Officials there are saying they have to bury people essentially right in the hospital complex. Babies have died in the neonatal intensive care unit uh, when their incubators stopped working and the generators went out. This has led to a tremendous amount of criticism directed at Israel. So in some way trying to show or prove that Hamas used it, That at least tries to explain in many ways what Israel was getting at as it closed in on the hospital. That information, those statements haven't come out yet. We only have the original statement from the IDF, so it's unclear how many forces have gone in, what types of forces, though they say they do have Arabic speakers to be able to communicate with the officials there, the doctors, perhaps the patients. At least as of our last update, there were some 650 patients inside and thousands of people taking shelter inside the hospital. So it is an incredibly difficult place to operate. The IDF has made the decision, though, just a short while ago, Aaron, that they're going in.
0: All right. Obviously a a significant development, although anticipated significant that it is actually happening uh, as we speak. Oren, thank you very much. As Oren gets more, uh, we'll go back to Tel Aviv. Uh, Also new tonight, the Fulton County DA, Fonnie Willis, now warning it could take more than a year uh, until her election racketeering case against Donald Trump and others could wrap up.
11: I think the case will be on appeals for years, okay,
9: but I think that um, in terms of uh, I
0: believe in that case there will be a trial. I believe the trial will take many months, and I don't expect that we will conclude until the winter or the very early part of 2025. And the Trump Organization Fraud Trial, meantime, another case where Trump's a defendant. Trump today reshared a social media post attacking both the judge and the attorney general in New York. We took a screenshot of it, uh, and it said, My fantasy, I would like to see Letitia James and Judge Engeron placed under citizens' arrest for blatant election interference and harassment. Uh, front mouth, former Trump White House lawyer Ty Cobb. And, and Ty, I just want to start there. That post that Trump reshared on social media appears to have since been deleted. Uh, But nonetheless, it was shared by him. Uh, You believe that that could be significant uh, for Donald Trump. How come?
12: Well, you know, we do have pending the um, appeal of uh, Judge Chutkin's uh, gag order in D.C. And these are the types of incendiary attacks that do lead to violence. Um, He specifically... Asked people to conduct a citizen's arrest. Um, detention of either James or Ingeran would be a crime if committed by um, any individual who was so motivated by the president's uh, remarks. It's much like what he did on you know, January 6th. It continues to be um, off the rails in terms of the extent to which his invective uh, infects these proceedings and is the potential to Im- intimidate witnesses. I believe that at you know at some point uh, comments like this will result in Trump uh, not only being sanctioned, uh, which will probably be the first order of business, um, uh, but at some point uh, these types of comments will result in him being put in jail uh, pending some of these trials.
0: It's just really stunning to imagine. I mean, just how that would happen and. How horrible uh, for this country uh, that would be in, in, in so many different ways and different levels. Um, well, you particularly out, you know,
12: when, particularly when you know, like your last guest reported, we're talking about very serious events. Very, I mean, real of serious events around the world. And you know, this petty um, uh, dictator type talk that keeps coming from Trump just diminishes him and the United States every day.
0: You just heard the Fulton County DA, Fani Willis, as well. She said her case against Trump could could stretch into winter, uh, and then uh, early twenty twenty five. Just to be clear, um, for anybody paying attention, um, that would of course be, be likely post inauguration, right, of a new president, uh, which could yes. be Donald Trump if he wins. So, what what does this actually mean? Well,
12: um, I, you might recall that when we when the case was first brought. Uh, I said that I didn't believe that case could go to trial until 2025. Um, And if Trump is elected, um, there's a significant issue about whether the state court can proceed against him, uh, and if it's in the middle of proceeding against him, whether they can continue with him as a defendant. You know, the federal rule, which is only a policy, it's not in the Constitution, it's not a statute, is that you cannot uh, prosecute, you can't indict or prosecute a sitting president during his term. Uh, there is no uh, law yet uh, on what the state's rights are in those circumstances. Right. But I think it's likely that uh, a court may rule that they'd have to wait until the end of his term to uh, finish a prosecution
0: of him. And what about what about in that odd window that may be in, right, where, say, he wins, but he's not yet a sitting president, that kind of November to January?
12: What? Right. Uh, so, you know, I I think in that window they could start the trial, but I think once sworn in, there's a substantial issue that, uh, um, you know, sadly uh, would interrupt the trial and ultimately be decided by the Supreme Court as to whether the state could proceed.
0: All right. Ty, thank you very much. Ty Cobb, as I said, the former White House uh, attorney, thank you for your time. And next, our latest series, Voters Out Front, kicks off next with a look at why young voters are turning away from Biden at this time.
2: I think that young voters recognize you can't bomb your way to peace and security.
0: Plus, RFK Jr. speaking to supporters tonight. He's now polling higher at this point in the race than any independent or third-party candidate since. Ready? Ross Perot. Who's backing him? Tonight, Joe Manchin in a new interview refusing to say whether he will vote for Biden in 2024.
12: I think that's uh, it's it's a hypothetical question, thinking, not knowing what we're going to have and who we're going to have to make a choice right now. Okay, let me just say I could not vote for Donald Trump.
0: But you're not convinced you could vote for Joe Biden. Well,
12: I I, I, I want I want President Biden. I would hope the changes would come.
0: This comes as President Biden is facing an uphill battle with a key group that put him in the White House. And Jeff Zeleny kicks off our new series, Voters Out Front, with a look at the crucial young vote.
1: People may not vote because they'll say, well, this happened under the Biden-Harris administration. As Kerry Singleton looks ahead to the next presidential election, he's thinking back to the promises he heard President Biden and Vice President Harris deliver on a visit to Atlanta. Pass the Freedom to Vote Act. Pass it now. On that winter day, the president was closing in on his first year in office. Hopes were high for Singleton and other students on the grounds of Clark Atlanta University and Morehouse College. Since then, voting rights legislation stalled. The Supreme Court rejected a student loan forgiveness plan. And high prices from food to housing are fueling economic anxieties.
8: Uh, I do think that everyone is willing to hold the administration accountable for some of those promises that were made.
1: And if they don't happen, I think it's going to be a scary election. For all the warning signs facing the president a year before the election, the skepticism and apathy of young voters rank high.
2: Folks just feel poorer right now than they did two years ago. There's going to have to be a lot of conversations about how we feel like our issues are being heard.
1: Nabila Islam-Parks is the youngest woman to win a seat in the Georgia Senate. In 2020, she went door-to-door in the Atlanta suburbs, building a coalition to help Biden turn the state blue. That coalition, she said, could fracture by the president's handling of the Israel-Hamas war.
2: I think that young voters recognize you can't bomb your way to peace and security, and so we do feel uncomfortable with that.
1: Rachel Carroll's first vote for president went to Biden. She said she doesn't regret it, given the alternative but finds herself disappointed by some priorities of the White House.
2: If they can fund a war, they can find the money to pay off our student loans.
1: Young voters were a critical component of the president's victory, particularly here in Georgia, where Biden defeated Donald Trump by only 11,779 votes out of nearly 5 million cast. Exit polls in 2020 show that voters 18 to 29 made up 20% of the Georgia electorate, The only state of the top six battlegrounds where the percentage of young voters exceeded the national share of 17 (laughs) percent. Biden won young Georgia voters by 13 points, according to exit polls. But now, a year before the 2024 election, surveys show a far closer race with voters under the age of 30 here in Georgia, split 46 percent for Trump and 44 percent for Biden, according to a New York Times Siena College poll. The excitement is not as high as it was last time. Alon Gibson and some of his classmates wish they had more inspirational and generational choices. We have to pick between two different people who are uh, very, very old and up in age. We would like to see Biden pass the baton. The vice president, whose college tour brought her back on campus this fall, resonates more. I think she she sparks that
8: energy. She's like when she came to Morehouse, it was fun. I feel her passion.
1: But with Biden at the top of the ticket, potentially facing a rematch of the 2020 race, voters say the burden rests on him to deliver on his promises and not take their support for granted.
8: Just as well as we hold Trump accountable, you know, we have to hold Biden accountable.
1: And, Aaron, having these conversations with so many young voters makes one thing clear. The economy for them is a very top issue as well, as it is, of course, for voters across the spectrum. Now, the Biden campaign, talking to them about this uh, and their strategy, says they are reaching out to young voters, they're increasing their outreach, and they said that they will go after young voters where they are, and they will make this a contrast election. But Aaron, it's not as much uh, perhaps as uh, people voting for Biden or Trump. It's a concern about uh, enthusiasm if young voters will turn out at all. That's why this is one key part of the coalition. The Biden campaign is trying to rebuild.
0: All right. Thank you very much, Jeff Zeleny, uh, in Atlanta tonight. And, you know, when you take all of this into account, you've got to take into account that there's there's something else at play. Right now there is. And that's Robert F. Kennedy Jr. because he's hoping uh, to really make a play here in 2024. Tonight, telling a crowd in South Carolina that he is counting on young people to do it. Here he is moments ago.
12: I'm the only one who's talking about what's happening to young people in this country. Somehow, in the terms of the last two presidents, the young people of this country have completely lost faith in the United States of America and lost any hope for their own futures. And that, to me, is the most heartbreaking data point that I've seen since I began running in this campaign.
0: All right. Well, Kennedy is picking up momentum. So that message and other things he says is working for plenty of people. A poll from The New York Times and Siena College shows Kennedy now polling at 22 percent. That is higher than any independent or third-party candidate this late in the race since Ross Perot. And for that, you go all the way back to 1992. Harry Enten is out front to go beyond the numbers. So... Harry, um, it has now been, and I'm just you know, off the cuff here, saying mm. at least six months that we've been talking about uh, RFK Jr. polling about 20% in various polls yes. of various people. Uh, but that number has been very steady. OK, who's, who's in it? I mean, key swing states, he's polling at 22%. Where's the support coming from that you can see?
13: Well, it's coming from multiple groups. But perhaps the most important group is people who didn't actually turn out to vote in 2020. He's Hmm. getting well into the 30s with that group. He is actually, I believe, leading with that group. You can see it right there, 36% to Donald Trump's 31%. These are people who didn't vote in 2020, who say that they'll actually come out and vote for RFK Jr. in 2024. So
0: these could be young people who couldn't vote before, or people who chose not to vote last time.
13: Correct. Remember, Ross Perot in 92, who, who we mentioned earlier on, he was someone who brought out untraditional voters. Also, Jeff was talking about younger voters, right? Yep. Among younger voters, nationally, you look at Quinnipiac University, who leads in that group? RFK Jr. leads in that group over Joe Biden, which is 32%. So the fact is, Kennedy is basically pulling in these folks who you might not expect who oftentimes don't well, turn out to vote
0: 18 to 34 38%. I mean these are significant. Nobody can look at this and not just pause. I mean yeah. that is it is significant. It's real. It's real and and it's not just young voters as crucial as they are and they were crucial for Joe Biden. Right? Correct. Without them he wouldn't be, he wouldn't be in the White House. There's another key demographic that seems to be gravitating towards Kennedy.
13: Yeah, black voters. Uh you know if we look right now our although Joe Biden has a fairly largely with black voters. RFK is polling well into the mid-20s with them, nationally speaking. And why is that important? Because that would be the highest share of the vote for a non-democratic presidential candidate as long, as far back as we have exit polls. I think you'd probably have to go back to the 50s and Dwight Eisenhower for a non-Democrat to be polling as high as RFK is among black voters.
0: Right. And these, uh, another crucial group, right? Of course, Biden may win it, right? But the margin. The margins are everything. The margins are everything. All right, Harry, thank you very much. And next, pro-Chinese crowds right now arriving in San Francisco, just in time to cheer for Xi Jinping's arrival, as he is about to come face-to-face with President Biden. Breaking news, you're looking at Chinese President Xi Jinping landing in San Francisco just moments ago, set for a face-to-face meeting with President Biden. The two rivals meeting as relations right now between the two countries are at their lowest point in at least half a century. And this is some new video filmed by our producer on the ground. Crowds bust in just to cheer to give Xi that welcome as he arrives. China completely controlling the optics tonight for their president. David Culver is out front.
3: Thank you, everybody. It's a great sharing night. a sofa and a smile at Mar-a-Lago.
2: Woman
3: serenaded by former President Donald Trump's grandkids.
9: Singing
3: in Chinese for a visiting President Xi Jinping. The blossoming, it seemed, of a new friendship, and with it closer ties between the U.S. and China. I think long-term, we're going to have a very, very great relationship, and I look very much forward to it. Okay. Not quite how the story played out. In the six years since Xi's last visit to the U.S., US U.S.-China relations have plummeted to all-time lows. They must play by the rules. The issues? Where to begin? A bruising trade war. A devastating pandemic. It came out of China? Rising tensions in the South China Sea. Growing threats from Beijing over its goal of unifying with Taiwan. And amidst Russia's ongoing war in Ukraine, an alarmingly cozy Xi and Putin relationship. In the war between Israel and Hamas, China refusing to condemn Hamas. President Xi's first trip to the US was 1985 as a local Communist Party official taking in the sights. Today, he's China's most powerful ruler since Mao, demanding near total control over a population of 1.4 billion people. Xi now returns to an increasingly divided United States, something Chinese state media repeatedly highlights in its propaganda. But if there is one topic that consistently unites Washington, it's being tough on China, a sentiment bolstered by the downing of a suspected Chinese spy balloon earlier this year. They're testing us, they're mocking us, they're trying to embarrass us. China has its own issues. After years of record growth, the world's second largest economy is struggling. Its housing market in crisis, youth unemployment at record highs. And for the first time in 25 years, a deficit in foreign direct investment. International companies increasingly uneasy putting money into China, in part because of Beijing's unpredictable crackdowns. The U.S.'s reputation has also taken a hit in China, fueled by state media's anti-West messaging and nationalistic posts on China's tightly controlled social media. Ahead of the summit, rising skepticism towards U.S. intentions, One Weibo user posting that this is a U.S. delaying tactic. Its strategy of containing China won't change but only intensify. Another posting, anyone who thinks that China-U.S. relations will become better is simply naive. It's just your wishful thinking. Many in China supporting Xi's proposed New World Order, one that's not led by the U.S. The U.S. now hosting this high-stakes West Coast meetup with low expectations on the outcome. No more love seat for the leaders of two superpowers. Instead, both on a hot seat with the world watching if they can tamp down tensions. And Aaron, tonight we're hearing from the chairman of a House Select Committee who's demanding the names of the businesses and the people involved in a welcome dinner for President Xi, in which companies are paying up to $40,000 for a seat at the table with a Chinese president, the lawmaker calling it unconscionable.
0: Wow. It's something to think about. It's a lot. All right, David Culver, thank you very much. And thanks to all of you. Let's hand it off now to Anderson.
10: When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high quality sleep every night. Sleep Next Level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599.